you know, the other thing that was was critical in an environment like this, because there are so many, you know, bright people and, and there is a lot of history, was getting alignment um, involved really giving people an opportunity to share their opinions and, and participate in the process. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. Technology continues to infuse new product offerings. But tech's influence is also permeating organizational structures and internal processes in some of the largest financial firms. When Barry Liebenson joined Experian four years ago as the global CIO, he entered a very different organization than Experian is today. Individuals and teams have a natural aversion to change. That makes digital transformation hard, especially at global scale. Barry joins us to talk about how he embarked on a digital transformation at Experian and describes how deeply change was felt across the organization. He addresses the nuances digital faces in the financial industry and the tools and techniques he used to infuse his firm with a vision of tomorrow. People matter, and Barry makes the point that, in a big way, digital transformation isn't really about technology. Barry Liebenson is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Uh, hi, Zach. First, my name is Barry Liebenson. I'm the Global Chief Information Officer for Experian. The, uh, the, the Global Credit Bureau. Um, so I'm responsible for the overall uh, technology strategy and direction as well as operations of our technology platforms inside of Experian. And so um, when you joined Experian in 2015 as a CIO, um, what kind of organization did you enter at that moment? Yeah, when I joined Experian four years ago, the, 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 the organization was structured somewhat differently from a technology perspective. There was a a much more um, a autonomous sort of decentralized operating model in place, which worked very well for the company when it was smaller and, and getting synergies uh, wasn't nearly as important. Uh, but as the company has, has grown, the need for a more centralized uh, and standardized approach to how we do things w w became pr pretty obvious. But uh, four years ago, we were in, in a pretty different operating model uh, technology-wise from where we are today. And were you, were you hired to sort of spearhead a transformation project? You know, I, I was hired to sort of look at the overall technology landscape within the organization, bring some cohesion to the way things were done, and, and look for opportunities where we could uh, advance our platform through the use of technology and, and um, you know, address customer needs more closely. So, while this specific task wasn't uh, transformation, it certainly was something that was a consideration when I joined the organization. And I, I know this is a very ambiguous question, but, but you know, you've been the CIO of, of quite a few large you know, U.S. corporations. Why, why is transformation so hard, digital transformation so hard? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's an area that touches so many people in so many different ways. You know, typically, you know, you're, you know, they have a saying, you know, standards are great so long as you pick mine. Um, and, and, you know, change is great, you go first. It's just, you know, people's sort of natural aversion to doing things differently from the way they've been doing them for long periods of time, you know, are often, often a factor. And getting everyone aligned, especially in a large global organization, can just be, you know, very different. Uh, you know, culturally um, and, and technology-wise, you know, we've got different platforms around the globe. You're asking people to to switch directions from what they've been using for years and years and what they may be comfortable with, both on the software and the hardware side, potentially, as well as changing the way, you know, their ways of working. If you're going from a waterfall 
approach to, to writing software and building applications to a more agile approach. It requires a pretty significant shift, not just in the technology organization, but in the company in general. So, um, you know, those things are hard. They take uh, a long periods of time and, uh, you know, everybody responds differently to, the, to, to those kinds of requests. And so it's, it can be a fairly daunting task um, in, in any organization. Was this your first stint in financial services? And, and the reason I ask that is really a larger question. You know, are there sort of industry nuances um, that, that you've seen that, that make maybe financial services, digital transformations within that industry more complex or harder or, or, or something different? Yeah, that's a really good question. The, um, so this is my first sort of formal stint as the CIO of a large financial services organization, but I have a significant amount of experience dealing with financial services organizations from some of my, my past uh, uh, you know, careers. Um, and I would say there is something somewhat unique about the financial services space, and that is that, number one, it tends to be you know, very competitive, small advantages in in the in this area can you know can be very significant on trading platforms on 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 the way people manage portfolios it it, it tends to get very bright people um, that, that tend to work on the leading edge of technology and I think that you know so you, you get a lot of strong opinions uh, a lot of very smart people um, it can make it a little more challenging to get everyone uh, aligned but you often have a lot of very creative and, and intelligent input that can go into the equation. So I would say, you know, it, it does tend to be a little different um, from other markets I've worked in. And does regulation play a role in, in digital transformation? <laughs> yeah, I think regulation plays a role in just about everything in the financial <laughs> services space. Um, you know, you've got, uh, and, and obviously being in a global organization, the, the regulatory requirements are different all around the world. And so, you know, we've become very good at, at sort of addressing, you know, regulatory requirements relatively quickly uh, because, you know, there are so many, whether it's GDPR or open banking, depending on where in the world you are, there's, there's just tremendous regulatory changes going on in the space right now. And that definitely impacts the way we write software, the way we promote production code into the market, the way we deal with our clients, um, and, and the way we deal with the regulators, um, it, it, you know, it, it's extremely important that we take that into consideration when we build products. So can we drill down in a little bit into, uh, I guess, the playbook that you used um, when you joined Experience to, to undergo and spearhead this uh, digital transformation? Yeah, you know, the, the, the first thing was sort of looking at the overall estate, uh, you know, inside an organization of this size and this, this uh, complexity. Uh, and that, that does span the globe, it was very important to sort of get an inventory and an, and an understanding of how we were doing things sort of around the world and then look for areas of, of, of synergies where we could bring people together. Um, you know, there, there was sort of a proliferation of different software being used inside the organization, whether it was database technology or programming languages. And I think there was also a strong sense uh, in, the, in the technology organization that there was benefit in in common ways of working and standardizing platforms. So there was a very receptive audience uh, to, to a transformation, which I think is really important. And, you know, the other thing that was was critical in an environment like this, because there are so many, you know, bright people and, and there is a lot of history, was 
getting alignment um, involved really giving people an opportunity to share their opinions and, and participate in the process. Now, it's important that to emphasize, that doesn't mean that everybody necessarily had to agree, but everybody had to be given an opportunity to express their, their opinion and be heard. And so we, we spent a lot of time sort of looking at areas of opportunity um, and then understanding where we thought we had the highest degree of receptivity to making change. So whether it was standardizing around Hadoop platforms or standing, standardizing around programming languages or standing, standardizing around agile scaling methodologies, a lot of it involved basically getting the, the groups together, uh, allowing them to share their opinions and then making some decisions. And obviously in an organization of this size and scale, you're not gonna get 100% agreement. But if you give people the opportunity to, to participate, you're much more likely to get uh, uh, acceptance and, and agreement and alignment, even when there may be a difference of opinion. It's important to point out that the, the, the contrary can be true as well, that even when people tend to agree and be aligned, if you don't allow them to participate in the process, they're, they're still not going to be as receptive to the changes that you're making. And so inclusion is just really an important aspect of this. And um, now that doesn't mean that everything becomes a complete democracy that simply you know, can't work, but it means that you try to have you know, things sort of be as, as democratically done as you possibly can. And at the end of the day, you know, decisions have to be made in order to keep things moving forward. But um, you know, there, there's a strong process that's been put in place to keep things moving. That, that was a big part of the approach here. That was a really good point about both sides of inclusion. Um, can you speak to specific uh, techniques that you used um, to get everybody to participate? Um, you mentioned, you know, standardizing on on, on programming languages or to do lists or to do software. Um, are there, were there certain things you did, I guess, culturally that got people sort of to align with 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 a, a shared vision? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the really critical aspects when you're new in any kind of a role is sort of understanding who the thought leaders are within an organization. And so, you know, especially when you've got an organization with a lot of really smart people in it, you know, there are certain individuals that people look to for guidance or for recommendations or who tend to basically have strong vision views or a strong vision on how things should be done. So one of the most important things, you know, early on was sort of understanding who, you know, the individuals were inside the company that were perceived as being thought leaders that could help in the transformation process in terms of making it effective and driving it forward. This is something that has to be done, you know, organization wide. It's not something that can be driven by just one individual. It requires, you know, lots of sponsorship and lots of participation. And so, you know, the first thing was to sort of understand, you know, who are the people inside the organization that are that are really have them that, that are really capable of having the most impact and making uh, a transformation like this effective. And so we sort of brought those people into the fold, had them, you know, had them really get involved with workshops and sort of understand where they thought we needed to take the technology organization, sort of got everybody on the same page and then sort of used a, a blanket approach uh, across the enterprise to kind of drive those changes and let those individuals be an important part of, of making it effective. And I guess what role did those individuals have? Who were the thought leaders, I guess, going forward, um, you know, and sort of now the everyday uh, sort of, you know, humdrum of, of work, um, do they maintain sort of a different um, 
role, I guess, in the organization going forward? Yeah, I, you know, I think that people who tend to be thought leaders within an organization sort of always, you know, even when their jobs change, people still tend to look to them as thought leaders within an organization. So I would say that a lot of those individuals, you know, still play a very similar role to the role they played four years ago. And a lot of them actually do have a specific role to play in the transformational activity. They're either driving it regionally or they're driving it from within a specific business unit. Um, you know, we've gone from an operating model where platforms and technology were often regionally developed, uh, you know, potentially in silos. So we may have a system that operated in, Europe, in the UK with the same name as a system that operated in the US. And four years ago, those systems, you know, may have shared nothing more than a common name. Today, there's a common code base that, that's often shared amongst our application stack. And that's because those individuals who are thought leaders were able to, to help put models in place that where we share things you know, across regions as opposed to just within a specific region. So th those individuals were, were, you know, have been and are pretty critical to sort of changing the way we work, making sure that we have more reusable technology, that we think globally as an organization as, as opposed to just regionally. Um, so those individuals, you know, absolutely are, are continuing to play a role in this process. I also think that, you know, while there's a lot of heavy lifting that goes on initially when you do something like this, you get it into a state where I don't think it's really, it doesn't end. I mean, you, you need to constantly be reevaluating the way you're doing things. And so while initially the, the changes are much more significant and major in scale and scope, you know, if the system is put in place properly, it, it's an ongoing process where the changes are much less significant, but they continue to occur as the, the organization evolves. And so, you know, yes, we, we did a lot of heavy lifting two, three years ago. Um, the, the amount of lifting that we're doing now continues, but it's not nearly of the same magnitude that it was three years ago because we have a lot more in place to keep the process uh, uh, running. Yeah, and from what you're saying, Barry, I mean, it really sounds like um, the transformation process never really ends. It's just, um, it just evolves. And um, to that point, can, can you point to specific uh, things that the organization can do now? I guess I was going to say on the other side of transformation, it's not it's still in that, you know, continuous transformation that you're describing. But are there things that you guys can do now that you could like tangible things um, that maybe, you know, when you joined in 2015 would have, would have been a stretch for the company? Yeah, you know, I I think that it was important for us to get the technology organization to where we wanted it to be before we started putting pressure, I think, on other parts of the company and organization. I think that too often people look at these types of transformation, uh, these types of transformation as a single organizational activity. This is not just about the technology organization. This is about other parts of the company as well, whether it's the HR organization or the finance organization. As we change the way we build platforms and the way we interface with customers, the, 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 the model, the, the other aspects of how we run the business need, you know, are changing at the same time. And, and and so as you move from a waterfall development methodology and, and move everybody into a more agile way of working, you also need to change the way funding requests are done and the way budgeting is done because you're doing things more incrementally as opposed to sort of in a big bang approach. So 
one of the big shifts that, and one of the things we're starting to look at now more aggressively is, is the ways of working outside of just the IT organization to sort of mirror or dovetail into the transformational work we've done in, in IT. And I think that, you know, while you can do a lot of that work in parallel, once you have sort of that IT structure in place, it allows you to more aggressively go after some of the other functions inside an organization to make sure that everything's working in a more synchronized fashion. So, you know, I, I think too many people think that that it's just about the technology piece. There, There's other parts of an organization that are going to be impacted as well. I guess with the benefit of hindsight, are, are there things you would have done differently looking backwards now um, as part of that to, to have, I guess, changed or um, directed the ship in a, a little different direction looking backwards? Yeah, you know, that that's, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, as they say. I, I think fortunately in this case, there's, you know, there, there's a couple of sort, sort of tactical or more subtle things that we may have done differently. We may have started uh, more aggressively in one region of the world than another. But all in all, uh, you know, I, I, I think I'm pretty pleased with, with where we're at and what we've accomplished in the last four years. I think one of the challenges for anybody in a technology leadership role is to remember that you really need to look at these things from a macro perspective, not a micro perspective. I mean, if we evaluate the performance and the changes that we've made, you know, over the last 30 days, it can be very frustrating because it doesn't feel as if the needle has moved a great deal. But when you look at them, you know, on an annualized basis, you know, if I look at where we are today versus where we were a year ago or where we were two years ago, I, I feel much more comfortable about the journey we've been on. I, I, you know, there's still a lot of heavy lifting to be done and a lot of work to be done. But I think in the last, you know, three or four years, we've we've really moved the organization in a significant way. Um, and, and I think you sort of see that in, in the company's growth, uh, in, in the response that we're, we're getting from customers, the introduction of, a, you know, we've been able to introduce a lot of new products in a very in, in a very rapid succession over the last you know twelve months or so that have been really impactful on the market. So I think the, the to me the best demonstration of the results is the performance of the company. And so if I look at it from that lens, I I, I feel pretty good about where we're at. Uh, There's there a few things I may have done differently, but all in all, uh, it, it it feels pretty good. Definitely, and um, I guess it's an interesting question. Um, Given one of the themes that we cover a lot on on this podcast is sort of the growing interconnectedness of of the financial industry, but you know via APIs and sort of you know platform building. As you started, I guess how much of a part of your thinking and planning was sort of the outward side, outward facing part of the of your company? What what kind of role did that play in sort of your planning of the of the digital transformation within Experian? Yeah, it, 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 it was pretty significant. Um, you know, the the idea of of really sort of changing our approach in terms of how we deliver software uh, to our customers and really putting the the power in their hands to sort of say, look, we you know we we love the data and the insights that you provide, but we want to consume them in a different way. You know, we want them either through an API interface or we want to, um, you know, we want them running in the cloud instead of on-prem or, uh, or, or any number of other sort of, you know, subtle differences from the way we had historically been doing things played a really big role. And it required, 
um, looking sort of outward at, at potential partnerships, um, and, and, you know, where somebody else may be, you know, for example, it, it just didn't make sense to us to build out our, you know, an API hub of our own when there were a number of other very large players in the market that, that you know, this was an area where we were much better served by partnering with somebody than necessarily building it out entirely on our own. So, so for example, we built out, you know, we, we worked with Apogee to build out our API hub several years ago. And we're now pushing, you know, over a billion transactions a year through through that platform, um, and it's growing, you know, uh, uh, by orders of magnitude on on a pretty regular basis. That was an area, you know, that was something that we we absolutely knew we needed to be able to introduce based on customer feedback, but it was something that that we were best served by working in the ecosystem to find somebody to partner with, as opposed to sort of building out that hub ourselves. Um, and it's been wildly successful. There, there's lots of other examples of things like that. We had to sort of pick who we were going to partner with on the, on the Hadoop front. You know, there, there's several mm -hmm. vendors. There's a lot of competition in the space. It, it doesn't make sense for us to have multiple versions of the Hadoop platform in our environment. There's a lot more efficiency in picking a common platform. But moving everybody in that direction and sort of partnering with one large firm was was a really big step for us. S same thing sort of when we picked our, our platform as a service development environment, we needed something that would run in the clouds, the public cloud, the private cloud, on-prem. Um, you know, in Colos, we needed basically a, a sort of a ubiquitous development environment to, to, to be able to leverage and we needed it to be open source so that, you know, we could effectively run it anywhere. You know, picking those kinds of things and identifying the partners was a pretty critical aspect of the transformation. And in some, it, it, again, that's also one of those things that is sort of a, an ongoing process as, as our technology evolves, where we're always sort of looking to partners and, and potential technologies that, that will give us a, a, an advantage in the marketplace. So, so also, Barry, beyond the, I guess, the build versus buy decision for, for those different types of technologies, um, you described this process where you got a lot of input from customers or partners. You talked about sort of not consensus building, but inclusion, I guess, earlier within, like with your internal workforce, was there an inclusion element um, getting partners and, and customers on board as well? Yeah. Um, a, a lot of it was, I mean, I, 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 I think most people know, and I will even admit this about myself, most technology people are somewhat introverted. And so, you know, it, it can be challenging to go out and put yourself out in front of customers and sort of have that level of interaction. We typically rely on salespeople and the sales organization to do that. I think it's really important, however, for really good technology leaders to be able to play that role as well so that things don't get lost in translation. Mm. So, you know, it was really important to me early on to work very closely with our sales organization and our largest customers to sort of understand where they were going from a technology direction standpoint. What, you know, what was it that was important to them? How were they building products? What were they hearing from their customers so that we could make sure we were adapting our strategy to, to be consistent with theirs? Um, uh, you, you know, I, I think that's hard for a lot of technology organizations to do because technology leaders, you know, often don't get out in front of customers as often as they would like, but we, we made it a very important part of the role. And when I say that, I, I actually mean on a global basis. So whether it was spending time in, in, in Southeast Asia, different parts of Europe, uh, with our largest customers in the United States, because their requirements are very different depending on what region of the world you're in. So 
that level of, of interaction with, with both clients and, and also with third parties. I mean, you know, we, 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 we set up an environment specifically to allow startups and fintechs to have access to sort of our, to have access to our data structure so that they could also build applications, um, you know, before they were ready to introduce uh, or participate in commercial terms with us. So opening up the ecosystem to third parties, as well as interfacing with customers to understand their requirements was a big part of the transformational activity when we were first kicking it off. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I guess we have time for one last question. Um, looking out into the back end of, of, of 2019, what are, what are some of your and your team's and company-wide goals, I guess, big audacious goals that you're looking to accomplish on the back end of the year? Yeah, I mean, there's been some really interesting advancements, um, you know, particularly, obviously, in the areas of machine learning and artificial intelligence. And that stuff plays a pretty, can, can play a very significant role in the decisioning process on analytical models, on insights. Um, and, and so, we, you, know, you know, one of the things that we, we're spending an enormous amount of time, like most firms, is is in the area of machine learning and artificial intelligence and sort of introducing some of those capabilities into the market. The other is, is taking some of the technology um, around, you know, big data and analytics that we've introduced domestically and, you know, or, or introduced in the U.S. And, pop, and introducing it in other parts of the world, you know, that we have an analytical sandbox that we call Ascend that was something we introduced in 2018 that, that, that I think exceeded, you know, most of our expectations in terms of the market receptivity. Um, you know, it's really cool technology. It's very visually oriented. You can layer any kind of presentation layer on top of it, but it can do sort of, you know, very sophisticated analytical models in real time on gigantic, you know, data sets. Um, it's based on very state-of-the-art technology. Um, and right now, we, we've been very successful with it in the U.S. It, it's something that we're getting ready and in the process of introducing in other parts of the world that, that is an exciting part of 2019 for us. There, there's a lot of other things happening in the alternative data space right now. Um, you know, we're doing things that, that allow uh, consumers to introduce non-traditional credit information into their credit profile. So things like rental information or cell phone data things that aren't typically collected or utility bills. And, and, you know, we have this program that we call Boost that we launched. And that's something else that in 2019, we expect to sort of uh, populate, you know, continue to promote and to push in other parts of the, of the world. So a lot of interesting technology that, that, that's scheduled to be rolled out over the next uh, uh, 12 months or so. Barry, thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet podcast today. Yeah. Hey, thanks for, for having me, Zach. Really appreciate it.